updates to the system. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. John Papa. May the force be with you. Lucas Rubelke. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles. Radio. (laughs) I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. A quick shout out for Freelance Remote Conf. It's too late for JS Remote Conf. Angular Remote Conf will be later in the year. So. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about 2015 and 2016 and what's coming in the Angular world and what has come in the Angular world. So 2015, I remember the beginning of the year, we were still in the throes of dealing with the RIP stuff from 2014. Dum, 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 dum. And, and everybody was freaked out about Angular not being so Angular anymore. That was awful. Yeah. That was, that was awful. I mean, there, there was no better way to say that, right? So what was 2015 for everybody? I mean, it was the year of the Angular tombstones and then the reboot with Angular 2. Yep. And we all had to get up to speed and learn this. We had some great podcasts on what the heck is it? What should we be learning? And what about all the stuff around it? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I dove into TypeScript harder last year and deeper last year than I have ever done before. Yeah, I remember that announcement too, the whole TypeScript announcement at ngconf and our discussion about that i haven't had as much time as i'd like to dig into it as much as i'd like but well i think it's funny you know there's things that we thought last year would be big like we all kind of knew angular to be big last year because they're Mm -hmm. you know working on it get them moving but i don't think going into the year any of us thought that typescript would be as big as it was last year Uh, and then things that kind of came out of nowhere were getting pretty hot too in my mind things like reactive extensions started gaining a lot of steam uh, late in the second half of last year uh, as well as things like React, obviously, was was a big year for them as well. 
Yeah, a lot of movement in React. Uh, we did several React episodes on JavaScript Jabber, and five of them, I think, are five of the top 20 episodes that we've ever had on JavaScript Jabber. So React took off in a big way. Well, you know, I was looking the other day at Pluralsight, and they had over 70 courses that were related to Angular 1. Not entirely about Angular 1 in, in some ways, but basically had a large portion dedicated to Angular 1 up on their library. And they, had no, and they had no React courses. They had one one old one from a year prior to that. Yeah, they have very few React courses even still. So right there, anybody who's a prospective author for Pluralsight, huge opportunity, right? Because React is hot. Well, no, it's not. It was hot in 2015, but it's going to just disappear. That's <laughs> <laughs> just me predicting, but we haven't gotten to our predictions. Right. I mean, you look back and see what was there and what was big. There's, I mean, some of the things are obviously very, very much predictable that they'd be hot. But I honestly, I was kind of surprised at how fast everybody adopted ES, um, what is it now, 2015? Yeah. <laughs> ES6. A lot of people complained and whined early in the year to me when I was leading them in that direction, that or TypeScript. And the second half of the year, it seemed like I didn't have to talk about it. People were just like, yeah, man, I'm using TypeScript. I'm using ES6. It's interesting. I think there is a little bit of what what is the I don't know what the right name for the bias is that's out there, but the people that I talk to are typically the people that are active in the community. And I don't know if a lot of the uh, quote unquote dark matter developers are really out there adopting it. And the other thing is, is that I know a lot of people say in the Rails community and other communities that are only adopting some of these because the communities that they're paying attention to are pushing them that way. So, for example, they're getting into React, and the React community is adopting some ES6 stuff. Or they get into Angular, and they start paying attention to TypeScript. But uh, I think a lot of people are still out there doing jQuery spaghetti in ES5, and I don't think they're going to move until they get pushed off the bench. Ah, that was me last night, even. So... I'm going to do an early prediction from 2016. One thing I predict early here is as Angular 2 unfolds, and I think we're all expecting this year if it be released at some point, uh, though I don't really know, I think when that happens, there's going to be a big gap. And it's going to be a short-term gap, but there's an opportunity for people to develop widgets and libraries and all the ecosystem that was on Angular 1 needs time to kind of firm up around Angular 2. Things like Firebase and all that are ionic the animations, uh, Angular material. So what I spent last night doing, for example, I think it's something everybody who's into Angular or any new tool, even like things like Aurelia, are going to be doing this year. And that's taking code that was written in things like jQuery or even Angular 1 directives and redeveloping those to work themselves into or rewriting those into Angular 2 components. And to jump into that, even as content creators, I'm finding that I'm revisiting some of the stuff that I blogged about in 2015 and redoing those applications in Angular 2. For instance, um, I had a series on creating a simple REST web application, and I'm going back and doing it in Angular 2 and NGRX. And then I'll write about that. So revisiting some of our my old content and updating it to to the new concepts. In 2015, also some, saw some changes in tooling and some migrations. I, I think, certainly for me personally, one of the big ones was Visual Studio Code arrived and has become my editor of choice, displacing Sublime and, to a certain degree, for me, WebStorm, although WebStorm remains strong for uh, an enormous number of people. 
Um, but that kind of came out and that did come out of nowhere. It really and, did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the sudden precipitous decline of Bauer by the end of the year with everybody kind of saying what they can do with just staying with NPM has been interesting. So I think that that's neat board, right? But I, I bet you, if you ask nine out of 10 people, you ask developers probably don't know about that. You know, the yeah. hottest, latest, coolest new developers are on the leading edge, kind of have heard all the rumblings about Bauer going away. But I actually look at that more as a prediction for 2016. Yeah. Well, they should listen to our show more. <laughs> because we know what's hot, what's not, right? Yes. Well, sir. the browser file, same thing. It's like, I think I was surprised to see that NPM was, had become as popular for front end as it has become. And now, like Angular 2, their official delivery channel is NPM. Feel free to comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're wrong. You're wrong, man. I haven't heard that at all. I go to the browser. I right-click, say view source. I then copy everything, and I paste it into a file and press save. Well, I do that too. Pro tip. (laughs) (laughs) I predict that that nobody will do that this year. (laughs) But I think tooling's a big one, Ward. That's a good one to hit on because – that's that's right. like a, a lot's in play there. I mean, I hear attacks on Gulp, people talking about how you should do everything in NPM scripts. And you know what? We've done much more with NPM scripts than ever before, and it's a very convenient thing to do. But but I'm still finding that there are complex tasks that I wouldn't know how to do yet as NPM scripts. I think what it's, what's, what you're seeing is people saying, enough already with all the choices. Can we just whittle this down? And that would be great, but it's not entirely possible. No, I agree. I think the build systems are, are a great um, place to look at that. With Gulp and Grunt, we're really, really hot. But then it seems like everybody was like, you know what? We can do all this in NPM scripts or even Webpack or JSPM. I don't think – my prediction that this year is that's not going to be resolved. I still think there's going to be many, many ways you can build, and there's going to be no clear winner. Yeah, I have a feeling that's true. I also think people stress – too. Here's here's a – this is an observation. People stress so much on that packaging and loading and all that tooling stuff. To me, it's like, hey, when are you going to get around to writing that application? Huh? Some of that stuff just sits on the periphery. I'm happy to, you know, give me a formula that can get me developing, and then I'm going to wait until somebody comes along and sifts through it. But there's just so much stress about that, and, and I'd, I'd rather focus on building that to-do app I've always wanted to make. I know somebody who can teach you how to do that. <laughs> Joe? Joe will help you. Because I want to figure out how many Gosh. different frameworks I can do it in, you know? I'm also going to predict that this year there is going to be a swarm of Angular 2 courses coming out from every one of these providers, the eggheads, the plural sites, the everywheres. I think you're going to be just inundated, the whole industry, with uh, Angular 2 learning material. And I think that's going to cause a good thing. A lot, lot of uh, ways to look at it, but it's also going to cause a bad thing in that where are people going to go to get their content? And uh, I think you're going to see so much choice that people almost be uh, paralyzed by how many ways they can do everything. That's why they should come here, come to our show. We'll tell them where to go. Tell them which courses they should listen to, who they should listen to, who should they ignore. <laughs> and maybe I predict this year that Ward Bell will author his very first course at one of these different providers. It could happen. It just could happen. I thought you already had plural site courses, Ward. I have is is a lot of chatting around on some. What do they call those things, John? That we're uh, play with Ward or something like uh, that. Yes, yeah, so play by play. Uh, oh, okay. 
which I love doing, by the way. I can't wait to do some more of those this year. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's time to, uh, to try, try to do some video courses. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things coming down the pike. And uh, last year we saw quite a bit with Angular 1 and learning Angular 2. I think this year a lot of people are going to be trying to make that migration and leap uh, with their skills, not necessarily with the apps, but with their skills uh, and figuring out is Angular 2 where they want to play? And if so, how do we play that game? But I'm also going to predict that this year there's going to be a lot of angst over not having a style guide the day that Angular 2 is released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, somebody's got to do something about that. Uh, I think I know yes. a guy. Yeah, I've already been getting hate mail from some people why it isn't already out, which is kind of funny. There was a great tweet by, I think it was uh, Joel Hooks uh, the other day. Somebody asked me about it, and Joel replied, Take your time, John. The reason, I'm paraphrasing, the reason that the other one was so well liked is because it was after you had built many apps with it based upon experience. You know, building something like that without actually having Angular 2 finished, and there's no, I haven't built many apps in Angular 2 yet. Nobody has. Um, It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say, here's my experience when there is none. Yeah. I'm wondering a little bit when we talk about some of the things that are coming up. I've heard a lot of people saying that they're leaving Angular for React. Do you think that's going to continue or do you think that's going to stabilize now that we have sort of a solid beta and hopefully uh, an actual release this year? I think people will still do React significantly. I think they're both going to grow this year. That's my prediction. I think Angular 2 is obviously going to grow. People who love Angular are going to stick with it. I think some new people will come to it as well. I think it's that good. But the React side, there's, to me, two reasons to use React. One, you just really love it. And if you do, great. It's awesome. And the other reason to use it is there's a small group of loud vocal people, people like us, uh, who love to go find the hottest, coolest, newest thing. And they're only happy if they're using the latest thing that's out. That's Magpie developers. Yep. And you know what? React was this year. What's going to be next year? Maybe it's the Joe Eames network application. <laughs> um, maybe it's Electron. Who knows? I've been hearing a lot about that lately. And Well, I'll tell you the minute I see it glinting in the corner of my eye. <laughs> It'll happen, man. Joe.js. You heard it here. Right. I love shiny things. I think well, it's the same reason that developers love Apple products. They're shiny. Well, and there, the thing is, is there, there are a lot of things to like about React, and there are a lot of things to like about React that they pulled over into Angular. And so go try it out. And if you like it, but you wish it was a little bit more Angular-ish, then let the core team know. Hey, I would really like this feature. Actually, I'm going to make a bold prediction that there will be no new frameworks of consequence in 2016. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's that bold because I, I agree with you. I, I, I agree too. Absolutely agree. I think we have enough to chew on. I think that there are an interesting variety of choices out there now. And it uh, it's not like, I, I mean, I just wonder who's going to come along with a brand, re, a truly brand new paradigm. I think if you look at it, you can start like at the bootstrap end, um, which is sort of down dirty nuts and bolts. Uh, super simple, lightweight. And then you've got these, you know, I guess next in sort of scale is React, which means you have to plug and play it with other things, but it's certainly got a good ecosystem and it has a point of view. It has a very clear point of view. Ember has a really clear point of view about um, how you should build applications. Angular has a very clear point of view and Aurelia has a clear point of view. And mm-hmm. and, when, and if you've touched the, uh, that set there, you know, you kind of have covered, it seems to me, the range of ways to approach the problem of uh, building a single page app. Everybody else is maybe 
I mean, there are others out there, but they just don't seem to me to be paradigm shifts. I want to push back on that just a moment, if you don't mind. I think no, that, no, go for it. I think one framework that you're going to hear more about is uh, Cycle.js uh, by Andre Stoltz. And it's essentially a new pattern that I never heard of, uh, model view intent, but it's a more of a functional reactive uh, framework. And I have immense respects, uh, respect for Andre and the stuff that he's doing around uh, functional programming, observables, et cetera. And I think you are going to see that framework get bigger and more mindshare as well as um, some of the concepts adopted into to other frameworks. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. I think a thoroughly end-to-end, front-to-back reactive approach is a different paradigm, and and so there's there's room for that. Paul Betts did something like that that this with reactive a few years back, and it disappeared beneath the waves, probably because it was too soon. But so it should be interesting to see what happens with CycleJS. Well, we can't mention this without mentioning what for me was another big, huge surprise in 2015, and that was Elm. Yeah, but that's a transpiled language more oh, than... Uh, don't poo-poo that. I, I'm just saying, it's not a framework as much as it is... It's not a framework, but it's, it is it is a framework at the same time. Sorry, I said it's not a framework. It is a framework at the same time that it's a transpiled language. You can't do yeah, Elm enough. and not do exactly Elm. Elm is like the pure version of React. Cycle is sort of trying to be more Elm-like than React is. Elm is like the pure version of those things. And what's the tra- what's the traction on that, Joe? Can, do you have any sense of that? Um, I think it's the same thing that is keeping people in React and making people go check out uh, Cycle, and that is this whole functional one-way workflow paradigm, uh, cha- state change paradigm is really making people think, wow, this is... I mean, the the... I've said this before, the functional programming neckbeards have been laughing at us down their noses for years saying, you guys don't even know how to build a maintainable app. And now we're seeing these sorts of things come along. And I think that's the attraction is this whole, hey, it's easy for me to understand how my application changes. And two and a half years later down the road, it's still easy for me to figure out how it changes. And tests are a secondary part of that. I can't wait to put a stake in the heart of this whole overreaction. <laughs> but that's what I predict in 2016 is I'm going to, we're going to see a lot of people saying, what? Yeah. So what? About what? Sorry, react or reactive? Yeah. The whole reactive of so-called functional programming movement. I'm expecting a counter reformation. So I think that's amazing because I know you and I especially, we've been inundated with reactive programming fans for the last couple of months, and it is pretty cool. I've learned a lot about it, uh, you more than I have. I think it's neat, but I also feel like in some ways people are going to swarm to this because it's the next cool thing uh, that people are starting to gain in popularity. But is it really that much better than what we had? I, I, I think there's going to be pushback. I agree. Well, in my opinion... A lot of these things go way too far and then dial back. I mean, we see this not just in programming. We see it in politics. We see it in economics. We see it in all of these other areas where people get really gung-ho about something. They go and they explore it to the fullest extent, and then they kind of come back to where it really makes sense. I had a great friend one time. I taught him. This is years ago. i tell you how old I am. I taught him how to use stored procedures with SQL Server. I left to go away from work for a couple of days and came back. When I came back, he had converted all of our SQL into over 1,000 store procedures. And 
he was amazed and wonderful, just thrilled. Everything was awesome. And then he ran the apps that are his company, and all of a sudden, everything was a lot slower because he had made store procedures that called store procedures that called store procedures that called store procedures all over the place. And it was just nuts. So my lesson from that story I often tell people is just because you've learned something new and just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it in every single case. And I feel that way with React, uh, reactive programming uh, with Rx. I feel that way with Angular 2. It's just anything you use, you shouldn't be using the same tool for every single job. You wouldn't bring a hammer when you need a screwdriver, would you? Well, and, and that's what I tell people a lot when I'm talking to podcast listeners or new programmers is that what you're doing is you're solving problems and you're managing trade-offs for your employer. And you just happen to have a skill set that allows you to do that and write the code at the same time. But that that's what makes you an expert is the ability to look at reactive programming, look at functional programming, look at procedural programming, look at object-oriented programming, and be able to take those paradigms and say, here are the trade-offs with each one, and so I'm going to go with the one that makes the most sense. Well, I want to say this. I wouldn't mind being wrong, and I know uh, because I think it would be fascinating that if there was a way for the functional programming movement and reactive programming movement to make a um, serious strides. But it's not like this hasn't been around for a while and struggled to push aside the existing modalities or even to enter the consciousness. And so it just reminds me a little bit of um, the way that we were all supposed to use Linux on every desktop and it was going to wipe out Windows and and everything else. Uh, you know, I mean, because it was so much better and it, and it that just never played out. So I'm going to be curious, but uh, the good news, uh, one of the good pieces of news here is that, Joe, you're a big fan of that movement, and I'm expecting you to, to uh, show me up in 2016 and, huh. and, and make a monkey of me. I hope I can. I, I will look forward to that. <laughs> so I think we should, we should make some challenges, too, for this year, too. And I challenge people, whether it's for reactive or not, whatever your topic is and you're trying to get it across to people, I challenge everybody to communicate that in a way that shows why. Why, for God's sakes, is it the right thing to do? I'm so tired of listening to people, especially last year. It seemed like it was the year of, my thing is awesome. Why? Well, it's just awesome. Well, why is it better? Because it just is. So I challenge everybody, if you've got a great idea or you think your framework's better or your library is awesome or you just love Joe Eames, tell us why. That's such a challenging thing to do. No one knows why they love Joe Ames, not a single person. I mean, that, that is so much more challenging than it sounds like. It's not just a matter of just take the time and explain it. Just explaining something well in a realistic sense, especially when what you're trying to explain maybe has to do with topics that are not so complex. And I think that's, we see this before, the to-do syndrome. Whatever makes a to-do app easy to build, everybody gets all excited about it. But we don't build to-do apps. We build big, huge, complex, 100,000 line apps in this industry and, and 500,000 line apps occasionally. We don't build to-do apps. And so the things that make a to-do app look cool are not. And to a small extent, I think Angular 1 is a perfect example of this. I believe that Angular 1 makes its to-do app shines out. But we'd also know that it has some big performance problems, and those were never really encountered until people started building 50,000 line apps and 100,000 line apps. And now we see Angular 2 as a response to that. I, I think you're right. It is very hard. I and mean, people aren't explaining why, not because they don't want to. I think maybe they're not the best communicators in some cases. In other cases, maybe they can't figure out why they like it. Maybe it's just because they do. And that's okay. Right. Right. Sometimes we choose something just because we like it better. But 
I think when it's something that's like, hey, here's a better way of doing it. Like, for example, doing RxJS over uh, promises for get, getting data. Let's let's show some use cases. Show it side by side with the thing you used to do. You know, start walking through the pros and the cons. Show an unbiased approach. And I think you'll get more people to receive you than if you uh, just say, hey, you know what? If I code in blue, it's so much better than pink. Right. Well, there's some great examples of the difficulties of that. Right. Imagine a paradigm that worked great for 50,000 line apps, but didn't work great for 1,000 line apps. Well, everybody can see the 1,000 line apps and see that it doesn't work great for those. But not everybody's going to go through the process of building a 50,000 line app with it. Uh, another great example, I think, of that, a concrete one, is pair programming. I've talked to many people about pair programming who have been very resistant. Managers are often. Developers are often, too. Although I feel like most developers get resistant to it, not because they believe that it's more productive to program by yourself, but because they want the ability to open up the news or a sports website and look at it. I've pair programmed for eight hours a day for weeks on end, and I got out of touch with the world because I couldn't spend my time, my little five-minute breaks, opening up whatever website was my favorite website to go check out. I just was working constantly. It was tiring. But we were more, in my opinion, we were more effective. So I've told many people, I can explain to you why pair programming is more effective, but until you come and do it with me for a couple of weeks, you really won't know. So here's another prediction for this year for me, and that is we are going to have a whole flurry of blog posts from people saying things like Angular 2 sucks and React is great. React is awful and Aurelia is wonderful. Aurelia is terrible and Angular 2 is the way to go. And those posts are going to just feed memes all over the place. And most of them, quite frankly, I'm betting, aren't going to be based in fact, but more so on opinion. So I'm, I'm hoping to write a couple of those myself, <laughs> both pro and con, you know, so expect a React is great, everything else sucks post from me, and an Angular is great, everything else. I expect to write those this year. So Sensationalism really, sells, man. Sensationalism. <laughs> there was a really virulent blog post written just very recently, and I won't even do the dignity of talking about it or linking to it because it was mostly a whole a big, huge rant about how everything in the last year, it was really complaining about React, about the idea of, hey, if you put little pieces together, that sucks. Uh, don't do a spa for everything. Spas suck. It was just a rant about everything that we consider to be, just about everything we consider to be part of modern web development. And one particular guy who was finger pointed at in the article tweeted and was upset. And so I went and read it. And even though he actually makes some interesting points, right? I think we're seeing the first of this. People that are over, well, not overreacting, reacting to different things that have changed over the last year. We've already seen all this stuff about uh, JavaScript fatigue and the tool chains and all the difficulties that people are having there just setting up a modern JavaScript application. You can't just open up a text editor, write some CSS, HTML, JavaScript, open it up in your browser and hit refresh and it works. Now we're, we've moved on to a new place where we need com a compile step. And there's some definitely a lot of reaction to that as well. So I agree. I think this is going to be the year where we're going to see a lot of that sort of thing. People railing against what the leading edge of the industry is pulling us towards. And you I, know what I this completely agree. To. I completely it, agree. Meanwhile, yeah, while they're ranting, while they're ranting, things will actually be getting better. 
because that is actually one of the trends of 2015 that I expect to see continuing. At the beginning of the year, things the tool chains were really in rough shape. The recipes for putting things together were really in rough shape. But as the year ended and the new year has begun, I'm seeing more and more CLIs that seem to kind of hold things together. I'm seeing more and more of the sequence of, of, of things that you have to do being encapsulated and, and useful tools bringing them together. And, and I suspect that um, the ability to put together uh, applications of this nature is going to be easier in 2016 by far than it ever was before. You know what this is all going to lead to as well is everybody's going to be bashing JavaScript this year, I think. I really believe that because while all the different JavaScript factions are talking about whose thing is better than somebody else's thing, the people who aren't into JavaScript are already starting to talk about how what a mess we live in today with this world. So I think we should all take stock in the state we're in right now with the web and how it is a lot better and how the tooling is getting better. And I think it will improve more this year. And it's wonderful that we have great choices like Angular 2 and React because there are people out there who are going to take advantage of it. I really think there's, uh, as developers, we spend way too much time thrashing each other instead of trying to improve things. So I have a prediction for this next year. I think that we are going to see a much larger contingent of mobile developers using technologies like JavaScript and Angular to build out mobile applications with the native options that we have out there like Angular and Tabris and and friends. I think that's pretty bold. I, yeah, I don't see that personally. I would love to see that, but I don't see it. It could be like nuclear power, you know, like fusion. It's five years away and always will be. <laughs> I, I've been talking to a lot of people that seem really excited and gung-ho about, about the technology, and I think it's something that really could take off. See, for me, one of the biggest obstacles to that, to what you're describing, is not technological. To me, the biggest obstacle is finding a reason to write mobile apps. I look at, the, <laughs> I, 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 I am dead serious. You know, look at what, what stands for innovation in mobile apps today. I mean, how many more sort of, uh, uh, survey or chat apps or whatever do we need? How, and we, particularly when you give, uh, given that a, uh, I mean, you can't take any more Facebooks and stuff like that. When we, when we look at what, uh, businesses want to do, how many fit into a mobile form factor? Uh, cause most developers, most people who are getting paid to develop, um, work for businesses. They're not creating these new consumer facing apps. And yeah, I, you know, God, I may be grumpy Gus here, but, uh, but to me, as I look around, you know, you talk to, I talk to clients and they talk about how they're supposed to be in the mobile, but not a, not a one of them has a clue what it is they want to build. And so it's kind of hard to get a mobile movement going if you don't have the application ideas to go with it. I guess we'll just have to see. You're talking to different people than I am. Uh, yeah, well, Chuck, bring them on. Like, like, you know, are there? What are the paradigms we're missing? What are the opportunities we're missing? Do you have a few? Uh, do you, like, for example, can you go beyond that and say, say, and these are the kinds of mobile apps that I think we'll be seeing in 2016? Uh, well, the thing is, is that what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot more people taking advantage of basically being able to build native type applications uh, using taking advantage of JavaScript Core and the JavaScript Bridge. And uh, I've talked to several mobile developers. I, I should bring somebody on to talk about JavaScript Core, uh, maybe on JavaScript Jabber, not necessarily on this show since it's a level up from 
uh, Angular, but at the same time, I mean, that's what NativeScript's taking advantage of. That's what React Native's taking advantage of. And that's what Tabris is taking advantage of. I'd never heard of it until we did a show on it. But there are so many options and so many great things going on with that, that it's going to be the same kind of application that you're seeing written for other things. And the tr- the different the only difference is, is that the logic's going to be implemented in JavaScript instead of in Objective-C or Swift or Java. Well, I, I, I'm with you. I'm feeling you on the technology shifting such that it becomes viable to build uh, applications in JavaScript on mobile devices that you would otherwise have to have written in native. I'm really calling, uh, focusing a spotlight on a different thing, which is that I don't know that, it, that we know what to build on these mobile platforms. Yeah, um, most of the businesses that I see actually building mobile apps, it, it tends to come down to taking advantage of either APIs that allow you to be a little bit more aggressive in getting people's attention or just having an icon on the launch screen. And I can definitely see that a lot of companies just want to be present in the app store. And so we see a lot of that and it has some basic or even some uh, more advanced functionality on the device that you can't get going over the web. And mostly that's just offline. And so there are a lot of applications that you need regardless of whether you're online or not. However, a lot of them do require you to be online and those, a functional mobile page is good enough. But at the same time, people then have to launch the page or launch the browser and then browse to the page as opposed to just tapping an icon and having it do its thing. It it reduces friction basically is what I'm saying. It gives you a presence on the phone. Uh, The phone gives you some opportunities that you don't otherwise get. Um, One example of this is that there is a mobile API on iOS that if you have an application in the app store, you can actually basically set up meta tags on your web page. And Apple has a, a crawler that when you, when you swipe down on the home screen, it will actually search your website as well or their index of your website as well as the actual app. And so there are some advantages to being on the mobile device beyond just having a presence on the launch screen. But then again, being on the launch screen reduces the friction that it takes to get to the application in the first place. And I'm going to change topics on both of you guys. I want to throw something controversial. I would like everybody on this show to take their best prediction on when Angular 2 will go live this year. (laughs) (laughs) Best prediction without going over or just best prediction? The best prediction. And then we'll, when it comes out, we'll see who was right or wrong because none of us on this call actually know. So let's just take a stab. When do you think it's going to go golden uh, golden release? Lucas, let's start with you. Mm. Just because I can. <laughs> I'm going straight down the middle. I'm going with June. How do you know that's down the middle? Yeah. <laughs> middle of what? <laughs> the year, I guess. Yeah. Ah. April, May, June, 6 of 12. So June 30th you're picking. Sometime in June. June 15th, we're going to be. I'm going to pick May 4th. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping. Pulled that one right out of the air, did you? (laughs) May the 4th be with you. And something else might be happening that same week. There might be something else happening that same week. A reason for it to come out. So I have a prediction based on that thing that's happening that week of May 4th. They were trying to get the beta out for Angular Connect. And they didn't do it, and they overshot it by two months. So I'm going to say that it's going to come out in the middle of July. May 4th, just for folks who may not be aware, is uh, NGConf, uh, Joe's big conference, right? So 
I'm assuming it's going to come out then, but you might be right, Charles. Maybe they'll over. See, Charles, Charles hit my number. I, I, my first one would have been June, but then when that was taken, I would have taken, I would have taken July. Uh, and by, you know, and I know nothing, right? Like we're all agreeing. Hmm. We have no insight into this, no real insight into this. Well, even if you have the list of things that they need to fix and you take into account the other things that are going to be, that are going to come up, there's still no way of knowing how long it's going to take to fix those problems. Right. I, I mean, we know it is being used in production apps. So um, this is clear. Uh, it, Angular 2 will be used in production apps, whether it's in beta or whether it's in full release. That will simply happen. Right. Uh, but, yeah, if, if, you, if I can't have June and I can't have July, I'm leaning to August then. And that's a shame. I would rather be something earlier. But I think it's hard. Hmm. And I and I think that it won't. At the on the other hand, I don't think it will matter that much because I think people will start building production apps much sooner. All right. So, I want to take for my date April first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and and then when are they going to really release it? <laughs> it's out. Oh, never mind. In all seriousness, that would really suck. Releasing a framework on April Fool's Day would just yeah. be bad. My oh. my brother doesn't do anything serious at all. And so when his first child was born on April 1st, he sent out, you know, she's here, she weighs this much, she's this long, and everybody sent back, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Cried wolf one too many times, huh? Yeah. All right, so Joe is April. I was May. Who was June? Was that Lucas? It was me. Charles is July, and Ward is August. So nobody thinks it's going to go later than August. Let's turn it around. Do you guys think that we'd be shocked if it was later than August? Not terribly. Oh, no. did I mutter that out loud? Oh. <laughs> I actually would be. The, I'm looking at the state that's in now. I think, and I hope I don't cause predictions to come true, I'd be shocked if this thing didn't get out there, at least in one of those uh, time frames we just talked about. Yeah, I think it's about polish, right? Uh, it's, again, that's why I keep coming back to it's. Uh, you can use it in production now. You have to know too much. There's, but there's so much that goes into a product that isn't just the technology. It has to do with the packaging and the tooling and the, uh, you know, all the documentation and all the things that really make for a, for a solid product. And I think that they really want it to be polished. And that's why I'm leaning later rather than earlier because polish takes time. Of course, it could have to do with competitive pressures too, right? I mean, you know, we don't know what – if some other framework really starts to take off, then, then that can change the, the drill. Um, but, but uh, yeah. Well, the other thing is is they have con pretty consistently done this where they're saying, we want to be at this point by this conference or this uh, Google event or this date. And they almost always overshoot it, mm. which yeah. I, I, I'm not angry about. I'm just saying that it seems to me that that's the reality. Yeah, they're not like Microsoft, which says, you know, by God, we're going to deliver it and build whether it's usable or not. Right. Yeah. Well, and I've seen that they don't tend to be very care. They don't care too much about competitive pressure. So I don't know that I feel like that's going to make much of a difference to them. I agree. I think they're trying to do the right thing, which I think yeah, is the yeah. right thing to do, as odd as that says. But yeah. Yeah, they, they seem to be a little bit more like Blizzard than uh, Electronic Arts. I like that, though. Doing the right thing is the right thing. 
The problem with doing the right thing all the time is that you don't release. And I've seen that happen uh, in a number of places. Microsoft resists that too. They, because what happen, you know, you have somebody who draws out a plan for two or three years. You can't do that. You have, right. you have doing the right to, thing doesn't mean make it perfect, right? Right. Yeah. Part of the idea of the release is you you say this is the feature set, this is a release one, and we're going to deliver that, and it has to it has to be a reasonable time frame. It has to be this year. I also think that this year is going to be the year where people will stop worrying about transpilation and that they will really jump on board with it, not only for ES 2015, but for ES 2016 using tools like uh, Babel and uh, TypeScript. I predict this is the year that people will finally, well, not finally, I believe that this is the year that people will stop using the words ES 2015 and 16 and revolt against that stupid idea. (laughs) It's so hard to remember, isn't it? What are we on now? Give me a version number, man. Yeah, that's a good one, Joe. I would put money on you on that. <laughs> I, I have to pause and think about it every time I say it. ES, oh God, what version is it? <laughs> Particularly since there's ES5, right? right. You got to go, you know, ES4, three, ES5, and ES2015? No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think they'll actually – here's the question. The, the the reason they started to do that was because they wanted to start having a release every year. Does anybody think that ES7 is going to release in 2016? Mm, that's a. Uh, I, I would be surprised point. if it did. Just, well, just based upon the history of what they've done, I, are they really going to come out with a yearly release? Well, the other uh, thing is, is the ES6 or ES5 to ES6, huge leap. And they keep saying, well, ES6 to ES7 or 15 to 16, I think are the right years. If they keep saying that's not going to be as big a release, but it's going to take the browser and other JavaScript engine vendors years to move to ES6. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I also think this is going to be the year that Bootstrap starts taking a back seat to other kinds of libraries. I think something else will come out, something we probably haven't even talked about yet and haven't even thought about. I think there's going to be a really awesome CSS framework coming out this year. Uh, and I'm not talking Angular Material. I'd love it if it was Angular Material because I think that's just phenomenal and what's uh, I'm really looking forward to that with Angular 2. But I think there's going to be something else. What about post-CSS? Yeah. It could be any of the ones that are already there that just get bigger, or it could be something all new. I think another thing that kind of blindsided me about 2015 was um, inline styles becoming popular. React has this, well, just throw everything in inline styles, right? You can just throw down an object with what your style should be for the the DOM object, and they'll just go inline. You don't have to worry about conflicts anymore and cascading conflicts. Hey, John, didn't you have a pal, a colleague, who said that inline styles are a security risk? I don't recall that. I do. Of course, I I didn't quite understand it. (laughs) uh, I was asking him to explain it, but somewhere he heard that it was. So, yeah. God, inline styles are ugly to look at, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Uh, but so, so Joe, curiously, why do you think that's going to be big medicine? I don't think it's going to be big medicine. I think it would surprise me that it's it has been as big as it is. I don't know that I, I think that it's not going to be big medicine. I just was surprised that inline styles, and I mean, but I do see how inline styles actually solve a big problem. That is, cascading style sheets suck. I hate them, and the cascading part of it is one of the parts that's wor- the worst. But without a system in place to sort of cast so this sort of idea that, hey, the framework will figure out what you need where and then just put it in line for you, 
But since it's JavaScript, it doesn't bloat the page. It's the JavaScript that's throwing it in line. So your page is, page is getting bloated with a whole bunch of styles that has to be downloaded that turns your page size from, you know, 20K to 100K. Right. So I think it has, it's a very interesting solution. So it has management for styles. It's just it's inserting them in line instead of loading another static right. asset. Right. Exactly. It has it has all the same management features. A lot of people that are using it are really getting happy with it. So I don't have a strong opinion about it because I really haven't done it much. But I think it's just an interesting solution, and it kind of certainly blindsided me. So let's play a little bit of uh, buzzword bingo for a minute and uh, just take a couple hot topics and you guys kind of shout out whether you think these things are going to go up in trend or down in trend uh, this next year. You guys game for this? I'm game. Sure. All right. Let's start off with an easy one. Containers. Up. Up. I'm not sure what you mean by containers. Docker uh, like, and the like. like Docker. Docker. It's up. Up, up, yes. up, up. Up. All right. There, there was the easy ball. How about NoSQL databases? I think they're going to hold. I think they're going to stay about where they are. I think I think, the, I think the people who have adopted them and know where the problems are and then unadopted them are going to go, you know, they're going to stay where they are and the people who love them are going to stick with them. I'm going to say continue up. They're going to get more popular. I would say up as well. I think um seeing more and more of it and hearing more of it uh in places I never heard about it before. What about Java? It's a, is that a buzzword? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it'll continue to dominate the number, you know, the, the charts of, uh, you know, how many programmers are there and where the jobs right. are, but it's not going to garner any excitement. Flat. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll go flat. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to move in any significant way. Yeah, it's too I big to, to move. Pick, I'd say flat, but if I had to be forced to pick up or down, I would actually say down, but not a lot. No. All right, I'll throw one out there in the same category. Ruby. Down. Mm-hmm. Decline. Down. I think it's going to hold about the same. Maybe go up a little. Says bit. the only guy who has any knowledge of Ruby. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is that so if you're talking percentage market share, it will go down. However, the size of the community has continued to grow steadily. So does that mean that the the entire pie of developers has gotten bigger, Chuck? Yes. Wow, where are they coming from? PHP, <laughs> among other things. Well, all um, right, so PHP. What do you guys think about that one? Uh, down. It's it's got nowhere to go but down. <laughs> well, no, no, no. The new PHP is, I don't know a lot about it, but I mean, they it's a pretty significant update. And I know there's some actually some pretty passionate PHP developers yeah. out there. And a lot of the stuff that you find in, you know, the like Rails and these other hot frameworks is there are PHP analogs. And um, I think that, I think it will continue to, I think it will decline, but I don't think it's going to precipitously drop off, especially right. with the, the new PHP. So I will say that this recent announcement that the uh, future of WordPress is in JavaScript will have a significant effect on yeah. PHP. Yes. Yeah, for those who don't know that, that's that's huge that the WordPress folks came out and said, basically, we're going to write the next version of this with JavaScript. Yep. I'm, I'm involved in a WordPress conference, and JavaScript is going to be a hot topic for it. Yep. I, I want to go back real quickly. Maybe I can throw a word out and you guys can say whether it'll go up and down and then we can talk about it. But uh, boot camps or coding camps. Up. Up. And I think both are going up. Code camps and like boot camp workshops. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that's where some of the new developers are coming from. But also there's so much information out there now to where I've talked to any number of people who are self-taught over the last year, two or three, depending on how much time they had to commit to it and how how quickly they picked it up. 
and they're coming in to the profession now and and they're picking up a significant portion of things so a lot of them that I talk to, of course, my my sample size is probably biased. I would say the majority of them are picking up JavaScript. Uh, the next majority of them are picking up Ruby. Uh, I hear a lot about Python as well, but that's kind of where I see a lot of people coming in. And so I think all of those communities are going to grow. I think they're also going to have a lot of the same growing pains that we see in some of the larger communities. Well, going back to boot camps, I think we're going to see even more experimentation on that formula. Yes. Of boot camps, because I think people are starting to see that a three month boot camp only works for the top few percent of people that go into them. Mm -hmm. And as much as you can create a business that operates by people paying you money for something that you promise and then not deliver very well on that promise, so long as you just move through a lot of people and promise them things. The businesses that actually do deliver are going to do significantly better. So I think we're going to see a lot more experimentation. We're not going to see we're going to see more boot camps that are different than just three months. Or we've already got Block IO, which is online only, or not. I don't know about only. They're online, and there's another one, Thinkster. Thinkful. They're Thinkful. Very, there they're you go. Similar. Yeah, very similar. These online ones. I think we'll see even more experimentation on this, and uh, I hope that we see some boot camps that are like six months long. And do a better job at taking people from zero to 60 and getting them jobs. I've seen a few that are six months and they definitely tend to place better. They also tend to put out people who are more job ready. And it's not just because they have more time to teach them more technology. They have more time to teach them the skills that they need to actually excel in the job. So get right. and uh, other technologies as well as how to work on a team and things like that. Right. Yeah, I think that I, and I really hope that we do because we need this. The university system sucks and it's only getting worse and it's a terrible way to get into programming. It just so happens to be that it's one of the only real ways to get into programming and boot camps are finally coming out as a real alternative. And I really hope that we see a major shift there because universities are terrible overall. So so on that same count, then, it seems like going through a four-year degree, getting a computer science degree or something related, and then applying to a coding job, it's a much better bet. They have much better placement rates. Of course, you're in for four years instead of six months, but you think that's going to flip-flop, where you're going to have a better chance getting in off of one of these boot camps or being self-taught than getting in off of a college degree? I wouldn't be surprised, because I do think there, there are still a reasonable number of people that are coming out of CS degrees and not getting jobs and going into something else. Yeah. Because we are an industry that doesn't care if you have a degree. We are an industry that cares what you can do. And that's what's great about this industry, one of my favorite things about it. At the same time, I would be shocked if somebody with any kind of pedigree or skills could not find a job in this industry. I read an article today that there's going to be like 2 million programming jobs that are not going to be filled in 2016 because we don't have the resources to do that. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. if somebody's even mildly competent, they can get a job. Right. Yes. I, really wonder. No. I well, mean, you, you still have things that you need people to be able to do and it's expensive to teach them on the job. So I think that will become more true, but I don't think it's going to be completely true. Does anybody, uh, I, I guess I don't know. Cause I didn't go to CS. Uh, I never got a CS degree, but I, it, 
I wouldn't have, you know, if I was going to the university and going for a four-year degree, I'd be really thinking about, you know, the recommendation is there is to get a re- well-rounded education in mm-hmm. which you have a major in CS, not not as a job factory. And even and if you were going to make CS your major, I would like to think that you were going there because you were really interested in computer science, not because you thought that that was the best way to get a job. I didn't think of it as I don't think of CS as professional training. In, in you know job training so much as it is a you know a, a degree in a subject matter of great intellectual interest but is that right. not how it's played i don't think that's how it's played i think there are definitely people who go into that for that and for that purpose it is mm-hmm. great if you go and you are interested in computer science then universities are a great place to go yeah, you're not going to get that at a boot camp because they're not teaching you no. computer science they're teaching you how to do it right. although uh, Block IO, I think, now has they call it a software engineering degree, but it's a lot more like computer science. They're, they may not have like a compiler's class, but a lot more of the stuff that you would right. might consider be closely related to computer science. So we might see some other variations on that, but I think you're still right that it, you shouldn't look at a CS degree first and foremost as job training as much as it is the opportunity to study. But I think that's also a problem across universities. Many universities are only trying to make it job training and then they're doing a terrible job but then you get people that go into a cs degree i'm going to pick evan saplicki as my example for this he went in got a cs degree and while i was at it he wrote elm now regardless of your opinion on elm he's made a major contribution to the industry because he wrote an entirely new way he had a new paradigm he figured it out and put it together and did something that nobody else had done and we really wouldn't have had that if he hadn't decided to go go to school Right. So that was a great benefit of him going to university. It's just not the right place for most people to go if you want to go get a job in programming. Yeah, I can tell you that the university that I attended now, my degree is in computer engineering. So I was over in the with the electrical engineering nerds. But that's the way they sold their computer science program was a great place to go if you wanted to get a job as a programmer or you wanted to go into academia and get your Ph.D. Right. Well, and it's hard to go in there and say, you know, these universities, they're trying to attract students. So what are they going to do? They're going to rely on the fact that, hey, there's 2 million jobs. You want to fill one of those 2 million jobs that are paying higher than just, you know, on average than most other disciplines? Certainly nothing else that you can get a very few things you can get a four-year degree on will on average pay as well. Yep. So they they need to recruit. Their costs are constantly going up. Of course, they're turning themselves into day spas with uh, <laughs> masseuses and all that sort of thing as yeah, well. Let's not go into that, but <laughs> the reason why their costs are skyrocketing. Yeah. So they need that. It's, it's just, it's pure economics. They're an organization that needs to survive. So they're going to pander to whatever they can do to survive. Sorry. If you haven't, if you can't tell, I have a fairly little opinion in general of the university system. Yep. So I want to throw one more thing out there. I was talking to AJ O'Neill from JavaScript Jabber the other day and he, he mentioned that he thought everyone was going to revolt on ES6 itself and uh, force the industry back to ES5 and then make reasonable changes to ES5 instead of overhauling it. Now, I, I disagree with him. I think, I think things are going to move, move ahead kind of in the direction they're heading. Um, but I definitely see a, a contingent of people out there wishing that they could stay on ES5. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on on it, though. I want to take his money. Is he willing to put money up on that one? Because that's that's uh, that's a sure loser. Of course, I, I I was the one who you know went for the 1.5 billion in the uh, Powerball, so I could be wrong. 
So the yeah. thing is, if you've spent any time in kind of an enterprise environment, whether it's JavaScript or .NET, is ES5 is really weird and quirky to those kind of developers. At the same time, it's a very, it's a large majority, but they're not vocal. And my experience is 100% when I've shown them ES6 and more importantly, TypeScript, their eyes light up and they get it. Exactly. So yep. I think that you're going to see a lot of ES5 jQuery types like, oh, like this is hard. Uh. But once you start showing enterprise line of business app developers stuff that they are familiar with and that they've built a lot of apps on already – and those constructs, they're just going to gravitate towards it, and they're going to start taking JavaScript as a platform seriously. And so I 110% disagree with that opinion. Yeah, this is a no-brainer. He's wrong. Okay, the other one that I want to just quickly get your opinion on, and then we'll wrap up, is WebAssembly. Is, is that going oh. to come out this next year, and is it going to become a thing? Or is it just a nice idea that may someday get some attention implemented? I think it's fringe, particularly when there are so many better ways to get improved performance. Um, web workers and things like that, that that's the way in which people are going to improve performance of their applications. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's going to take off, and not because I have any idea that it will, just because it, it's more interesting if one of us goes out on a limb on this. You're dumb. Yep. <laughs> and that way, if it does... Then yeah. I can say neither. You neener. look like a genius. Yeah. yeah. And if it doesn't, then I can say, well, you know, I didn't really think that it was going to happen, but I just wanted to play the odds. I was being sarcastic, bro. Just wanted to be wild. Yeah, it was just being—it was sarcasm. Couldn't you tell I was being sarcastic? Yeah. I, I can edit that together and make it say whatever I want. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> you don't and don't edit this together to make it sound like I murdered my brother. <laughs> you got the phrase right there. You just said it. The confession was there. It's done. Send in the cops. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and do some picks. Ward Bell, you want to start us off with picks? I saw a movie that is so much better than Star, Star Wars. Wars. You're talking about Star Wars. Because Star no, Wars is so, so much better than Star Wars. So much better. Yeah, uh, and yet. He's trying to say he likes Star Wars 7 better than Star Wars 6. That's right. I, I'm saying I saw. Mad Max uh, Fury Road. It's kind of hard to figure out how to merchandise that. I got to give, <laughs> you know, it's not like you're going to have a whole lot of figurines for that stuff. Those cars are really cool, but I don't think I'd buy models of them for my exactly. eight-year-old son. Yeah, exactly. I don't think you're going to have a lot of pictures of skinhead kids with black eyes. But <laughs> but the movie was so much more exciting, so much more entertaining than, you know, it, it made Star Wars look like a daytime soap. So, <laughs> that uh, was fighting words. Uh, which, by the way, none of the, the George, George Lucas described Star Wars from beginning to end as a soap opera, which I think pretty much says it all. But <laughs> I digress. My pick is uh, Fury Road for those who are action movie inclined. All right. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks? So my pick this week is a song that I've actually been really digging on. It's just so hype. And it's called Key Engine by Lucas Sestic. And he's just this young German kid who plays Boogie Woogie Pano. And the song is off the hook. Check out the link in the show notes. It's a great video of him doing it as a live performance. All right, Joe, what are your picks? All right, so... I saw this movie that was so 
amazing. <laughs> I've got to tell you, it was action packed. It was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's called Star Wars Episode 7. And Never heard of it. Start to finish, it was nonstop, amazing, <laughs> fun action. The most fun I've had at the movie theater all year. It was, amazingly enough, better than this other really awesome movie called Mad Max, which I also saw, which I loved. But it was even more fun. So I'm going to pick that as my first pick. <laughs> I, I predict that for this year, we will all continue to make fun of Ward about Star Wars. <laughs> and I predict that it will not bother him one bit. And he no, will it won't. Every bit as good as he gets. In fact, he will give it back even more. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, Ward is not the kind of guy that backs down from a challenge. If you've ever seen him ask a pointed question at a presenter. <laughs> or on the show. Have. Or yes. on the show, yep. So I'm just going to pick Star Wars again. And then while I'm at it, I'm going to pick little bits, which are little snap together magnetic circuitry that you can buy little kits of and then build things with. It's a little builder's type of a kit. And I have an 11 year old son. We've been, we, I've, I've blown like 280 bucks now on their kits. I bought the Arduino kit, which has a few pieces plus the Ardu Arduino piece. And then I bought their basic $200 kit, which has a bunch more pieces. And we built like this remote control car that he absolutely loves way more than the really cool remote control cars that he might have access to because he built it himself. And we only need one more power supply and then he can give it a horn. And it's crazy because there's these two levers and to make it go forward, you have to put one lever all the way down, the other level all the lever all the way up. <laughs> For some reason, the, the polarity is reversed when in the way that it transmits wirelessly. But it has this wireless transmitter piece that came with it. So we put that in. We put the power in, hooked them up to wheels. And we took a little bit of, um, not glue, but these sticky glue pieces that they, these little sticky uh, pieces that they have, kind of like poster sticky. Um, and we put, took some of his Legos and gave it to make the car part have other wheels and He's just been having an absolute blast, and it's been so cool playing around with that. So I want to pick little bits because it's been amazing and a great thing to have, and I've really had a lot of fun playing with my son. And that'll be it. Those are my picks. All right. Oh, and uh, by the way, the CFP for NGConf is out, so go submit a talk. Okay, I will. I'm going to submit a talk at NGConf, for, um, Joe, just to give you a heads up. It's going to be at How Awesome Star Wars Is. <laughs> <laughs> it already has my vote. You're in. Yep. That's brutal. We will not be attending that session. <laughs> I thought I it was single it, track. It's got to be the keynote just so you have to be there. Right. <laughs> nope. Is it multi-track this year? No, it's it's single track. Although there's a day in the middle. Instead of the two days we've done in the previous, we'll have three days. And there's a day in the middle, which will be not so much multi-track, but just a lot of stuff going on. It's called Fair Day. And there's tons of stuff going on. And so all of it going on simultaneously. Well, not all of it, but... Lots of things going on simultaneously, and you have to choose what you want to go do. Awesome. John, I think we are still waiting on your picks. I pick something non-technical. I have been enjoying spending a lot of time with my little girls and my boy lately. Uh, sometimes I worked too hard, and bet you guys do too. And it's good to just take a step back once in a while and spend a little time with the family and the whole reason we do this. So I here, here. Yeah, I got a bad case of that. And then you went and took them to Star Wars and ruined I, the whole thing. I took them to Star Wars? And then I took my wife to Star Wars. And then I took my father-in-law to Star Wars. I'm doing well. Um, I've, I've got a few picks here myself. The first one that I'm going to pick is I've, I've been playing uh, with this for a while. Uh, Clash of Clans. If you want to find me on Clash of Clans, I'm CMAXW. 
been playing it on my phone and I just enjoy it. Uh, nice thing to do, nice fun thing to have. One other thing that I want to point out is that uh, I do have other conferences this year. If you're interested in, for example, freelancing, uh, Ruby, iOS, or React, those are coming up within the first half of this year. So go check those out. Uh, I think I've also got a Git conference in there. I've also been playing around with Swarm Simulator. That's swarmsim.github.io, which is fun. Um, so I'm going to pick that as well. And finally, I went to CES last week, and there was a lot of cool stuff there. And I'm really curious to see what we're going to be able to do with programming as far as Internet of Things um, over the next year. I mean, they had smart shirts and smart pants and smart shoes and smart socks and smart... They had a zillion smartwatches, but that's kind of old news. Um, I don't know that any of this is going to come out anytime soon, but it's definitely interesting to look at. There are also all the smart home stuff and and things like that, uh, 3D printers. It was way cool. And uh, so if you're in the industry, which as programmers, they count us as part of the industry, you can get a ticket and go. Uh, you can get your ticket. You want to get your hotel room early because it fills up. And yeah, then uh, let me know that you're going and we'll hang out in Las Vegas for a while. But yeah, um, I'm going to pick that. I'm also going to pick the Venetian Hotel just because it's really cool. Reminded me a little bit of Venice. Uh, I do have one beef, though. They have St. Mark's Square. And the reason they call it St. Mark's Square is because it has the big cathedral, St. Mark's Cathedral. And uh, the Venetian left that off. But anyway, really fun. Really cool. So anyway, kind of all over the place with my picks, but that's kind of where I've been at. So yeah, and I also want to plus one John's pick because I've um, I've been going out of my way to spend more time with my kids, and it really does come down to that's why we do this. So anyway... I don't think there's anything else. Is there anything else that you want to share with us about NGConf, Joe, before we wrap up? No, the CFP is the, uh, definitely the big news right now. So hopefully if you haven't gotten a ticket, that's probably your best shot for getting in is to get accepted as a speaker. Of course, if that doesn't work, you can maybe find one of the couple of Easter egg tickets that are hidden on the Internet or get your company to sponsor information about that. It's on the website as well. But it should be lots of fun. 1,400 of your best Angular friends all hanging out together for three days, and as many as five days, depending on if you go to workshops and stay after for some fun at the amusement park. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. May the force be with you, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.